Please join me in corporate prayer this morning. From Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. King Jesus, we ask that you bless the new members of covenant that will be presented next week. Thank you for the growth of fellowship here at our church. We ask for your spirit to guide us as we grow and grant us understanding of your gospel. We ask for physical, emotional, and spiritual protection that only you can give. We pray that as we go into the world, you will light path for our, your purposes and for your kingdom. We are thankful for your holy, living word and thankful that you're a personal God and put the power of scripture into our hands. Thank you for the provision you've given us and guide us to be stewards of our wealth and talents to serve your everlasting kingdom. Today we pray specifically for those in our congregation. I want to pray for Will Nalen as he has been hospitalized, Lord. I pray for his family. I pray for the doctors as they gain clarity in this time. I want to also pray for Lynn Fault and her upcoming back surgery. We ask that you would remove anxiousness leading up and be with the doctors as they perform the surgery. I want to also pray for those who've recently lost loved ones. We pray for Keith Besh, the loss of his mother. We also pray for Josh Johnson and Liz as they mourn the loss of Josh's grandmother. I also want to lift up our missionary partners, Danielle and David Groton, serving in Chile. In this Advent season, we lift up our eyes and our hearts to the coming of our King and Savior. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Amen. Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you uh, to preach from Isaiah. Uh, as you know, we are pausing our study in Mark, and we've dipped into Isaiah, and we're studying these so-called servant songs, these passages that are found in the latter half of the book of Isaiah, um, where the prophet sees this coming servant and uh, kind of dips into song. Uh, talking about him. Uh, I want to take a moment and thank Nathan for the a great pronunciation of Chile uh, just a second ago. Uh, we have a, a friend from Honduras, so I, it, you guys know me well enough. If I get excited, I dip into Spanish. So just a forewarning that mi espanol, is, it's likely to come out today. Okay. <clears throat> um, so we're in the Advent season, and uh, one of our favorite things to do at home, and this is props to my wife, Liz, uh, she knows how to use the public library for all that it's worth. Um, and you guys know what it costs for a library card, right? Nothing. And so you can go get your library card, and she uses that thing all the time, and she goes and she gets tons of books. Well, really, she orders lots of books online and then sends me to go get them, and I have to carry baskets and bags of books out. And then she'll just read them with, with our kids, and they love this. We've been getting Advent books and books about uh, Christmas and St. Nicholas uh, and all kinds of fun books. But Sibs doesn't care about any of those books. 
Okay, my two and a half year old cares nothing for the new books, the shiny covers, the new, he doesn't care. He wants one book, one book only. And that is The Little Pilgrim's Progress. Someone gave this book to us as a gift and it has been a huge blessing to our family. And that's the only book that Sibs wants. And he doesn't want to read the whole book. He wants one particular part. And so he'll run in and be like, Daddy, I want to read about the giant. I want to read about the giant. Well, if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress or even The Little Pilgrim's Progress, it's a phenomenal story John Bunyan wrote years and years and years ago. And they've trans- you know, moved it into kind of a children's version. And this section of the book, Christian and Hopeful, this really, really good friend, are on a journey, the pilgrimage to the celestial city. And Christian leads himself and Hopeful away from the path the path of life that the king has set. And they wander off the path and they come to this realm that is completely shrouded in darkness. It's a darkness that can be felt. You cannot see. It's, it's a darkness that completely overwhelms and overcomes you. And as they're there in this realm of darkness, they meet up with the giant who is the giant despair. And the two go together. When you're shrouded in darkness, there is this thing like a giant, which is the weight of despair. You're despairing of all hope. You cannot see a way out. And so it is Christian and hopeful are are there with the giant despair. He drags them into his castle, the castle of doubt. Because how would one ever get out of this darkness and despair on our own power in our own terms. And so they're there in the dungeon, completely covered up in darkness and despairing of all hope. Well, our passage this morning, Isaiah 49, meets people, maybe like you, like me, who have once been in that darkness and maybe even find ourselves there today. Well, this passage helps. This passage teaches us of the servant who comes to the darkness. So let's read Isaiah 49 and then we'll pray and and dive in and kind of walk through and see what the Lord would have for us. Isaiah 49, one through seven. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Yahweh called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and in his quiver he hid me away. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with Yahweh, and my recompense with my God. And now Yahweh says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of Yahweh. My God has become my strength. He says, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says Yahweh, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, 
to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of Yahweh, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. God Almighty, we thank you for this Lord's day. We sit here gathered together under your word. We're attending to your word and we ask that by the Holy Spirit, you would help us to see Jesus that you would help us to delight in his beauty, that you would help us to cherish him for who he is and his accomplished work for us, and that you enable us by your spirit to pursue after him, to follow him in his way. We pray this in his name. Amen. So Isaiah 49 and to understand what's happening in this servant song, we have to understand where it, where it fits in the context of the book. And this is the first thing that I want us to glean from this passage. And that is the need for the servant. In order to, to cherish the servant and to understand who he is and what he has done, we have to understand the need for the servant. And so in Isaiah, in the context leading up to this passage, we can see pretty clearly what the need is. In the first half of the book, it's been pretty heavy on judgment, judgment on God's people and judgment on the nations. And the reasons are pretty clear from the text. For God's people, they were called to be God's faithful covenant partner. They were called to be God's spouse they were called to be Yahweh's servant, and it was going to be through his servant as he made them holy, brought them into his presence and dwelt with them, that they were then going to bless the nations. And instead of doing that, they forsook their role as servant. They lived an unfaithful existence for generation after generation after generation. God's people continually gave themselves over to worship of everything that wasn't God, primarily themselves. And as you read in the book of Isaiah, even in the previous chapters before this, they've become blind and deaf and rebellious. Who is blind like my servant Israel? This was from the text, yes, uh, this past week in Isaiah 42. Israel... Because of their covenant failure, their unfaithfulness to Yahweh is incapacitated. They are unable to fulfill their role that God had set for them. And so because of that, we read in Isaiah that they are going to be scattered. They're going to be exiled to the ends of the earth, reminiscent of God's judgment on the world in Genesis 10 and 11, where the nations who are gathered together to worship themselves and to exalt themselves as God are scattered to the ends of the earth. And so God's people too here are scattered away, far from home, far from God's presence, from his grace. And they are sent into exile. Scattered away, the blind, deaf, rebellious servant who was meant to be the means by which the nations would come to Yahweh. That was their, their job. Because they were being made holy, 
They were to shine and the nations would come. This centripetal movement, right? Growing closer and closer, the nations would come to them, come to the mountain of Yahweh to learn from him and to know him. So this servant who is meant to be the means by which the nations could come has utterly failed and they're far from home, scattered in their own darkness. And so what does that mean for the nations? Well, the instrument by which they were to be blessed and to have light shining on them so that they might know the one true God and worship him rightly and serve him, well, they have no light. They too remain in darkness. The darkness of ignorance, of unbelief, of idolatry, of hopelessness. Now, we've all been in that darkness. At some point in our lives, we were alien to the covenants of promise. We were alien to knowing who God is. We did not know him and we did not claim him as Lord. We know what the darkness of hopelessness feels like. And so there is a desperate need for a servant because like Christian and hopeful who've been captured by the giant despair, Israel, God's people and the nations have been captured by despair. Sitting in darkness, needing a servant. And so it's to that need that we come to the second thing that this text shows us, that Yahweh provides the servant. So there's a need for the servant, and now see Yahweh's provision of the servant. We see this in verses 2 and 3. Really, verse 1 through 3. The Lord called me from the womb, the text says. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. And then later on in verse five, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant. What's amazing here, if you go to verse three, look at this. The one called from the womb, the one prepared and named by name, Yahweh says to me, you are my servant, you are Israel. Here is what is happening in this text. Previously in Isaiah 42 and in the previous chapters of Isaiah, Israel, the nation, God's people were called to be the servant. They failed. They were completely incapable of following Yahweh, of honoring him, of being covenantly faithful to him. And so they've failed. They've, they've fallen on the job. And so Yahweh comes to this servant, this individual, this person. And he says to him, you will be my servant. In, in fact, you will be Israel. What's happening here is that God is constituting a new Israel. He has not given up on his covenant promises. Though Israel was unfaithful to God, God is always faithful. And so he will fill the gap. For there to be a healthy covenant, there have to be two sides who are all working together to see the covenant promises through. And so God provides a servant who will be Israel, who will stand in the gap and who will honor the covenant, who will make this possible. So Yahweh provides a servant who is true Israel, who will stand where Israel fell. And look at what it says of this servant. Verse two, he made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow and in his quiver, he hid me away. 
his mouth like a sharp sword, this servant who is true Israel, his, his identity is one who he is going to be a great prophet. A mouth like a sharp sword is someone whose words are piercing. He's going to be a prophet of the Lord. This is not any prophet that we're talking about. No one of the prophets, not even Isaiah himself, would claim these things for himself because it's too weighty. His mouth was like a sharp sword. It takes us to Deuteronomy 18 where a greater prophet, the prophet like Moses, would, would arise And God's people would not be able to disregard his word because they would be cut to the heart by that word and they would listen and the word would go deep into them, to the bone and to the marrow. His word of proclamation would fall on God's people and they would be healed. It's a prophet like Moses whose mouth is sharp as a sword and he's a polished arrow. I don't know if there are any hunters out there. I'm not one. So I had to do some research on this. A polished arrow is one that is incredibly effective. It is sharp. It has not been touched by the elements. No rust. It it is perfectly capable to achieve the task. And it's kept away, ready to be aimed and fired. And when it hits the target, it pierces through without any hindrance. This is the servant. His word is powerful and his word is effective. Because that is what God's word does. His word does not return void. His word accomplishes all that it sets before him. So Yahweh provides a servant who's going to be true Israel, who's going to be faithful where the former servant Israel failed. And who's going to bring the power of God's word. He is perfectly prepared and waiting for the right time. So we've seen the need and we've seen the provision, but what, what is the servant's job? What is the servant meant to do? The third thing I want us to see is Yahweh's mission for the servant. There's Yahweh's mission for the servant. And the primary mission is in verse three. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. The primary mission for the servant of Yahweh is to bring glory to Yahweh. This is the story of the whole Bible is so that Yahweh's glory would extend to the whole cosmos, even to the ends of the earth. He created man. Why? So that they might be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, extending his presence and glorious grace to every square inch of God's creation. In the way that they lived, in the way that they worked, in the way that they worshiped, it was meant to bring glory to God. And so he has provided a servant whose mission is to do just that. In the servant, Yahweh is supremely glorified. He's bringing the worth and the weightiness of the three times holy God to bear. And he is pointing to the glory. But how does he do that? There's some practical ways that he does it. We see this in verse five and six. So you're my servant in whom I will be glorified. Here's how. Verse five, the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. The first way in which he's glorified is that he is going to gather God's scattered people. God's people who were unfaithful to him. 
who had sinned against him, who had treated the poor and the needy and the sojourner with disdain, who had looked down on anyone who was beneath them, who didn't care for those who were in desperation and in despair among them, who did not worship God, but worshiped themselves. It was those people that the servant was going to pursue and gather and bring back. God is most glorified when his people hear their name called by their savior and they're gathered to him and they worship him. Us here today brings glory to God through the work of the servant. So he's going to gather God's scattered people, which is an amazing mission, but it's even more. Look at verse six. And he says all of this. Yes, but it's, it's too light a thing. It's too small. It's too insignificant that you would only gather all of God's people who've been scattered across the whole world back to him. That in and of itself was kind of a too big of a mission for a mere human. But now he's to be a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's glory is going to happen when his people are gathered to him and the nations see the light of God shining through, piercing through the darkness of ignorance and unbelief and despair. That, I believe, is a mission far beyond any mere human. The goal of God's relationship with man was to extend his glory, his beauty to the ends of the earth and so that people might know him. And this is the work of the servant, to magnify who Yahweh is by gathering his people And by shining the light of grace to those who sit in darkness. He's a light for the nations. So there was a need for this servant. Yahweh provides the servant and he's given him the mission. But if you read this text, you realize that it's not so easy. So the next thing I want us to see is the way of the servant. The way of the servant. So to reconcile an estranged world and an estranged Israel, it seems like no mere human could do that. And yet, as we read this text, we realize that whoever this servant is, he might be more than human, but he's not less than human. Verse four, you said that I'm your servant Israel in whom you will be glorified. But I said, I've labored in vain. Or another way of saying that is to emptiness I have toiled. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. To formless nothingness I have spent all of my strength. And then down in verse 7, the Lord says to one who is deeply despised, who is abhorred by the nation, who is a servant of rulers. The first thing you need to understand about the way of the servant is that it's the way of suffering. The way in which the servant is going to come into this story to bring ultimate glory to God is through suffering. He is one who toils to emptiness. It's almost meaningless. He spends all of his strength for formless nothingness. He's despised from the core. This deeply despised, another way of saying it, he's despised from the core. 
He's despised for who he is. When we live in this world, we know what it's like to see Jesus despised at the core, despised for who he is. He is despised from the heart. But what's amazing about this, one scholar pointed this out and it just absolutely blessed me. He said, God does not approach the arrogance and the oppression of the world. Remember the world that sits in darkness, that shrouded in darkness of despair. He doesn't approach the arrogance and oppression of the world with greater arrogance and greater oppression as if to exert his will on all things, to, to force it. No, the sovereign God instead comes with humility and vulnerability and powerlessness. He, the God of all creation, who said, let light shine out of darkness, he comes into the world. He, the light comes into the world, pierces the darkness as a tiny infant. He comes into the world in full humility and powerlessness. That's the power of the incarnation. The God of all glory coming into the way of suffering to be one despised and abhorred, to spend all of himself for nothing, or so it seems. But the beauty of this story is that for the servant, his way doesn't end in suffering. It's simply the path that leads to glory. So the way of the, suffer, of the servant is suffering unto glory. Suffering unto glory. Look at, look at this in the text, verse 4 and verse 7. Though I have spent myself for formless nothingness, yet surely my right, my judgment is with Yahweh, and my recompense, my reward is with my God. I'm honored in the eyes of Yahweh, and my God, because I've spent my strength, I have nothing left, he's become my strength. And in verse 7, the one who was despised and rejected by men and a man of sorrows, abhorred by the nation, who's a servant, it's to him that kings will arise and, and they'll see and princes will arise and see and they'll come and they will prostrate themselves. They will bow down and worship. What this word is signifying is not a simple knee to the ground, kind of acknowledging that here's a slightly greater king than me. No, 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 no. This is full body on the ground, face in the dirt. I'm not worthy to look at you. Worship of the servant who has suffered unto glory. So I don't know if you've seen as we've walked through these four things, but let me state it plainly. Jesus, the son of God, his only son, our Lord is the servant. He is the light of the world who the light came into the world and shined into the darkness and pierced through the darkness of despair and the darkness has not overcome him. The need for the servant that the world had, Jesus has come in to time and history and creation as the light of the world. He was Yahweh's prepared servant who is the prophet greater than Moses, whose word is the power of God unto salvation for any who would believe and his mission to glorify God, to gather all of his people. He comes as the good shepherd and he speaks their name and they hear his voice and they come to him. And he is the light who goes to the ends of the earth. And the way in which he did it is the way of suffering unto glory. He who 
had equality with God, didn't count it something to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself by what? By taking the form of a servant, by becoming human and learning obedience to the point of death on the cross. And it's through that way of suffering that the Lord has raised him, vindicated him, kings see and bow down him, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess that he is king to the glory of God the Father. That's the story of God's word. That's the story of the servant. And lastly, I want to share with you this. There's one more thing in this text that we need to know. The servant has servants. We are the servants, plural, of the servant. Look at it with me in verse six. So he has this amazing mission to gather the preserved of Israel, to be the light for the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This story is ongoing. It is God's unfinished story where we ourselves have a part. In the book, Luke and Acts, the two-volume work that, that the gospel writer Luke wrote, we see this super, super clearly. In Acts 1, when the disciples are gathered with Jesus, the raised from the dead Jesus... Um, and he's talking to them about uh, the kingdom. And he's talking to them about the kingdom of God and, and their mission. And what he's sending them out to do. And they're asking him all kinds of questions. Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom now fully? And he's like, that is none of your business. About times, this is what you're going to do. You're going to wait. And the Holy Spirit is going to come with power on you. And then you are going to be my witnesses. Often in the New Testament, the, the idea of being a witness and being a servant go together. You will be my witnesses starting here, but going out in a centrifugal way, outward. Starting here and going to the ends of the earth, an allusion to our text in Isaiah 49. And moreover, not only did he call his disciples to go to the ends of the earth to be his witnesses, but... Amazingly, Paul in Acts 13 with Barnabas, and there he's preaching. Some Jews are there, also God-fearing people. So Gentiles are present. And he preaches this amazing sermon. Um, I think it's pretty good. And the Jews wanted nothing to do with it. They're like, we'll hear you again. But then they didn't really like what he had to say. But the Gentiles heard it. And they were worshiping God and praising him because they had heard the good news of salvation in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, yeah, that's because God has called us to be a light for the nations. Friends, here's the truth. Because God has claimed you, because you belong to him, like what Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You are the light of Christ. Christ has shown the, his light into your hearts. So now you are the light to the nations. Every time you wake up and step out of your door, you are light to a world that sits in darkness and despair. Following with Isaiah 49, you are God's instrument in the power of the spirit because you're united to Christ who is the true light. You now go forward as the light to the nations. So here's what that means. Okay, some very practical application for everyone in the room. Okay, little kids, okay? The little ones who sometimes think that this isn't for you, 
This is absolutely for you. Okay, do you have, do I have your attention? If you're like four to 10, somewhere in there. All right. Because you belong to God's family, you are light whenever you go to school and to practice. And I bet, I want you to think about the kids in your class, and maybe, maybe you're like this. The kids in your class who don't have that many friends or who people kind of make fun of a little bit. I want you to move toward them and be friends with them. And I want you to tell them how much God loves them. And maybe that's you. And I want you to know that this is your savior. This is your servant. And you are deeply loved. And you belong to his family. Okay, now for you, you teens and tweens. That's a word, right? <clears throat> you have a job to do here as well. You are the light of the world. You're the light to the nations and his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so in every place that you go... You're an ambassador for Christ. So I want you to think about the people that you know who outwardly portray a really good image, whose social media feeds look really nice, but who are absolutely being crushed by the weight of despair. I know you know who they are, and maybe it's you. I want you to think about those people, and I want you to move toward them. I want you to tell them really good and encouraging things about who they are as a person and tell them of God's love for them and that they too can belong to God's family if they don't already. That's your work. And for you adults, in whatever season of life you are, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have, many of you, because you're the light of the world, wherever you work, wherever you interact with people, with your own families, this is your work. You're to move towards people who are suffering under the weight of despair. And you're to say to them, Jesus is the servant who has come, who has died, who has been raised, who has made me belong to him. And in him, I have hope, even when the way is hard. We're to be light to the nations. What's a, another aspect of this that I want to close with is that often hearing that, you, you, you know, we can get excited. We can do that. And then you go and you interact with people and you realize, man, people's hearts are hard. People often don't want to hear this. They're good. Jesus knows the way of the servant. He knows the way of suffering. He f knows the feelings of futility. I've spit myself for nothing. I've labored to emptiness. Your hope is not in your feelings of how it's going. Your hope is found in verse 7. The one that was despised is the one who's been vindicated and who is being worshipped. Why? Because of Yahweh who is faithful. In your own lives as the light of the world, he is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for from eternity having this vision to send the servant that the world desperately needed in King Jesus, the light to the nations, to gather up God's people, to bring them back to yourself, to restore us to right relationship with you 
and to enable us by your spirit to live and, and serve as the light to the world. We ask as we come to, to this table that you would spread a table for us in all of our wilderness places, that you would nourish us by faith, and that you would strengthen us for our own journey, whether we're on an easy way or we might have fallen into the path of darkness and despair. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.